Good morning. Good to be here in this warm place on this very damp, chilly morning. I am guessing that Matt is missing some of the sunny Georgia sometimes. Snow is very beautiful. And I liked it better when I was a child. My brother-in-law didn't like it very well on Thursday when he was stuck at one place for seven hours on the interstate. He said it tests his patience. Would it test yours? (laughs) Seven hours. He didn't want it to happen immediately again or soon again because he wasn't sure how much left patience he had left. But we have a lot to be thankful for. If we consider seven hours waiting on an interstate because of an accident is small potatoes compared to wartime in Iraq. And you can put a multitude of other situations in there. The death of a loved one and many things like that. And if we look at the blessings we have and put it in a proper perspective, we are much more thankful people. And then when we think of the well of water that the Lord Jesus Christ came to purchase for us, and everything else pretty well pales in comparison to that. So I was good to be here. I was encouraged been encouraged so far already and directed toward the Lord. So I trust you have been too. Why don't we stand for a word of prayer before we go ahead? Lord, we thank thee, Lord. Lord, that should be a common phrase from our lips and from our hearts and from our actions every morning. Even as we get up in the morning, Lord, even as we're rubbing the sleep from our eyes and orienting ourselves that uh, could come from our hearts, Lord, we thank Thee for Your goodness. Though, Lord, we may have troubles, varied troubles, and we do, and life is real, and we don't always have answers, and we we do struggle, and... People around us are suffering, and ourselves too at times, and let Lord give us hearts to be thankful. We choose, Lord, to worship you and to thank you and to praise you because of what you have done for us. We are not worthy, but you are worthy to be thanked. You have made everything, Lord, from the beginning to the end, and while we're in this time of Various troubles, Lord, we also know they will come to an end. That's another reason to be thankful. Lord, I also pray for this morning. I pray you would uh, instruct us and guide us, direct us from your word. We are thankful for your word this morning. We are thankful, Lord, that we as your people, you have gathered us around your word. We're thankful, Lord, that we can gather together. And after the service, that we can gather together around a common meal and Enjoy that together. and So, Lord, we pray you would 
be with us and bless us the rest of this morning here. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. And be seated. I actually had not even thought of Thanksgiving this morning when I prepared for a message, so you will not have another Thanksgiving message. The, um, this is the last message that I will have before our ordination, and they were planning a few messages, sort of directing that next, no, not next Sunday, in a few Sundays when uh, Jesse Burkholder comes, he'll have a message on ordination. So uh, there'll be a few of those directed towards that, and this morning will be one of those. So we'll have a little bit of a Bible study about what the Bible says about elders, offices of elders, and the offices of deacons, and what the difference is. Dale Heisey, in a meeting for ministers a few years ago, asked a series of questions. He asked, can there be life without structure? And you say, yes, you can look out and you can see a tree that is dead. There you have structure, but there's no life there. Then he said, you could ask the opposite question, can there be structure? No, I have this around. Can there be structure? Uh, Let me think here how this is. Can there be structure without life? I am incorrect here. Can there be structure without life? And yes, then the question is, can there be life without structure? And he said, that's a little more controversial than he asked. So let's let's ask this question. Did God make structure or did he make life? He said both. So God made structure and God made life. Then the question is, what is the goal? Life or structure? And the goal is life. But you need structure to have life. And as life grows, so does structure with it. He used various examples. Try having a fire in your house to heat your house without a structure to put it in. You will have life, but just for a very short time. And it doesn't. It's destructive without a proper structure. Think of, and he used the context of a going to a sports event and watching a game. Can you have a game without structure? You take the, the rules of the game away, you no longer have a game. You just don't have anything. But the people, those thousands of people that are coming are not looking, they're not coming because they're structure. They're coming because of that life that's in that game. They need to be contained in structure. So, and he asked a few more questions. What has given us our fear of structure? He's talking about church structure now. And he got a various answers to that, misuse of it, reaction to its use, 
legalism, inflexible structure, misuse of authority. And all those are very relevant. So structure is necessary, and properly ordered structure is essential. And I can say, you can praise the Lord, we are, as we look at developing some structure in our congregation, there is no controversy. It is, we all understand that we need, we need leadership. We're looking for direction, looking to God for direction for leadership, and it's not an issue. So, this is a message in preparation for that. But I'm not going to be talking about the qualifications of eldership. I think Jesse's probably going to do that. Instead, I'm going to be focusing on the role or the function an elder is to fulfill in a church. And alongside with that, on a little lesser scale, what the role of a deacon is, and because we want to make a little bit of contrast, the difference between the two, between the role of an elder and the role of a deacon. We as a church group have accepted that the scripture only has two positions or two offices. And that's understood if we go in and we'll look at there later. In First in Timothy chapter 3, it talks about if anybody desired to be a bishop and they get the qualification of, a, of an elder. And then a deacon gets the qualification. And we have those two there. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of Philippians, we have this here. You don't have to turn there. It's the greeting, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Other church groups, and some that we are familiar with, have a three-tier structure. Often the deacons and the ministers and the bishops. And that's a three tier that we're, we're, many of us are very familiar with. Other churches have pastors, they have deacon boards, they have teaching elders and ruling elders and many other variations of that I'm not real familiar with. But we as a church group have understood the scripture to teach that there are two, two tier or two different roles or offices. However, historically, we have not been very clear in distinguishing the difference between the two, especially the role of a deacon. And that will be one of my goals this morning, to distinguish the difference between the two. So, are you ready for a Bible study this morning? Get your Bibles out, and we'll be looking at a number of passages the role of an elder, that's what we're going to look at first. An elder, does that simply mean an older person? Well, it does. We're going to look at the scripture. You can turn to uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 25, and we'll see a place where the word, when we talk about elder, the same word, which is, uh, I think I probably have that word later on. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. The prodigal son, the story about the prodigal son. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. So, elder can simply mean 
older in relation to someone else. Um, that yeah, here is the word I had it now. A press, 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 <laughs> presbyteros. I don't know how to say that Greek word, but it's it has two specific meanings. One is meaning an older person, and that's what we're looking at. And then you can also well, I'll just read it in John chapter eight, verse nine. We have to. St- the passage of the woman that's been caught in adultery and was brought before Jesus. And then Jesus challenged those men that brought her. And in verse 9 it says, And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest. And that's that same word. So someone, uh, so this word elder can mean simply someone who's older. The very, the next very common usage of this word in the scripture is what Divine's Expository Dictionary describes as members of the Sanhedrin or members of the the Jewish ruling party, which in the King James also says about the council. It consisted of the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes, those learned in Jewish law. These were men of rank and positions of authority. And this category is almost always negative because of how they opposed Jesus. You can turn to Matthew chapter 15, and there, this is, this is just throughout the, the Gospels, but we'll look at a few examples. Matthew chapter 15 in verse 2, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. That's the same word. And then turn over just a page or two to uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. And from that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And uh, then if you go to Acts, where Stephen was was uh, preaching, and it just says there, and he stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came and they caught him. These verses are a very small sampling of the word elder as a position or office in the Jewish nation. Now, it's nothing more were ever in the scripture about elders than what we've been reading here in the Gospels. We would have the same connotation. The, the word elders would have the same connotations to us as scribes and Pharisees would. Because they opposed Jesus almost without exception. This may be some of the justification that younger people sometimes use to justify their independence and not listen to older. It can be drawn from this because the elders were always wrong, weren't they? They were hopelessly stuck in some kind of tradition. They are out of touch with the real world, talking about older people now. They are not, they not understand the changing times and they're not spiritual. They're only traditional. 
However, it was not it was the Jews, not the position of the elders that is the issue here. Elders have always been an essential part of the commonwealth of Israel. And so I'm going to look in some Old Testament examples of, uh, of elders. And you can turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. Looking at where elders is used. And um, I didn't double check this, but I this is, of course, Hebrew. But I am assuming... Without checking it, I'm making the assumption that it, when they did the Greek translation of the Old Testament, then they would use Greek words that are the same word, elders, as it is in the New Testament. But I did not double-check that. Okay, Numbers 11, starting at verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee. And there I will take of the spirit which is upon thee and I will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee that thou bear it not thyself alone. So we're talking about ordaining one or maybe two elders here. Here they ordained 70 out of, out of one shot. <laughs> 70 elders. And they were ordained. And they put hands on them. And the Spirit came on them. And the Lord commanded them. Elders is not a bad thing. Elders is a good thing. God, uh, God uh, ordained elders in this way. And I'm just going to read in Deuteronomy 27 verse 1. And Moses, with the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you this day. And so there we have Moses and the elders connected. Moses and the elders are saying the same thing. So elders are not automatically suspect. Rather, they are an essential element in the structure and ordering of the Jewish nation. Elders are to be leaders. They're to be examples. They are to organize and teachers. They are to be godly men with a solid, godly example to show for it. When the elders were godly, the nation was godly. When the elders were not godly, the nation was not godly. The prophets of Old Testament Israel chastised the elders and the priests for not following the Lord. And I like to look at that beginning there. Uh, we'll get to New Testament after a while, but you can turn to Judges chapter 2 where we look at what happens when uh, when elders are not doing their responsibility or something goes wrong anyhow. Judges chapter 2. Actually, you're probably very familiar with these verses, but let's look at them. Starting at verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. So you had Joshua and you had elders. Those who had seen all the great work of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timath-Herez, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. 
And also all that generation was gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Now, it's not the elders' fault per se, but there's a strong connection between godly elders and obedient people. I don't know what for generation that followed after what it it, it was, but if there would have been godly elders there that would have taken the torch from that first generation and kept it going, I don't think it would have gone that way, at least not nearly as, as bad or as quickly. Elders have a position and a responsibility for leadership in accordance to God's will. So they are charged with that uh, that greater responsibility, the community. So if the success of a home rests predominantly on the father... Can the success of a church rest predominantly on the elders? <laughs> it's a question. Not entirely, not exclusively to be sure. But I suspect there is a pretty strong connection there. The Old Testament, you had godly prophets, but you did not always have a godly nation, even though you had godly prophets. And so there are, there are, there's just a correlation there, but there's not a direct um, connection as far as the word I'm thinking of. Um, in Not immovable, but a um, rigid. There's not a rigid connection between the two, but there is a correlation between the two. So, elders are not synonymous with Pharisees. Um they are synonymous with the children of Israel. Sometimes they were obedient, sometimes they were not. Prophets the same way. Sometimes you had, you had godly prophets and you had false prophets. Same thing. So we need to be discerning. There are godly elders just like there are ungodly elders. Just like there are wise youth and there are foolish youth. How does a person know? If he or she is zealous in wisdom or zealous in foolishness. Or if he is godly and spiritual or if he's rebellious with a thin veneer of godliness. There's a quote that I quoted here probably several years ago, so most of you forgot it. So I'll, I'll say it again by C. G. G. K. Chesterton. As he made, as he looked over history, as he observed peoples and nations he said this I believe what really happens in history is this the old man is always wrong and the young man is always wrong with what is wrong with the old man (laughs) the practical form it takes is this that while the old man may stand beside some stupid custom the young man always attacks it with some theory that turns out to be equally stupid. Now that's an observation, that's not exact, but it's some food for thought. 
I think some of us older ones have discovered that we actually, we were, we were there. <laughs> and, and probably for younger ones here, probably not totally exempt from that as well. So, elders. Elders are not always wrong. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But godly elders is what we're looking for. So let's now shift to elders in the Christian community. In the early church, instead of the scribes and elders repeatedly being mentioned together, like the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests and the elders, you had a, you had a combination of labels that were together. In the, in the, uh, in the church, there's actually another combination together over and over, and we're going to look at that. Acts chapter 15. We find New Testament, we find the new church, the, uh, the church. And we find a duel together. Verse 2, chapter 15, verse 2 of Acts. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about the question. Apostles and elders together. Verse 4. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they received, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. Verse 6, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. Now that's a small sampling. That fi- you find that at numerous places in, 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 uh, in Acts, I think probably mostly. So there's a duel. You have the apostles and you have elders working together. And if you believe like I believe, there was a, the, the era of the apostles ended. There were no longer more apostles coming. They, they were the original ones that were with the Lord Jesus that got inspiration and direction directly from the Lord. That was scripture. And, and that, and when that era ended, we now end up with elders. The Bible almost always speaks of Christian elders in a positive way. Biblically speaking, if you go from scripture, Christian elders are godly. That's what I thought. And then I did a little more study. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. Uh, you have in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 19, you have a provision given against an elder received not an accusation but before two or three witnesses. So an elder actually needs to be corrected, but there's a proper way to do that. And then we have in in Third John a man in a church that I am assuming was an elder. Uh, he was what we would call an ungodly elder. Um I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, received us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, 
neither does he even receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. So there we have a situation of an apparently an elder that was ungodly. <clears throat> so practically speaking, the same situation exists in the Christian church and elders as there could technically in the Jewish nation where you had godly elders and you have ungodly elders. And that is one of the reasons why it is very important to ordain qualified godly elders. Okay, the first use of elder in the Christian church is in Acts 11. As far as chronically, anyhow, you can turn to Acts chapter 11. And we'll go down there and we'll look more at their, at their work a little later here. Acts, we'll start reading at verse 27. And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Antioch was in an area where the economy was a lot better at this point, somehow, whatever the economy they had, but Jerusalem was really bad, so Saul and Barnabas got what was collected, and they took it to the elders, which were at Jerusalem. So there's elders there. And uh, they were they ordained men, as we understand today, we're not completely sure, but uh, likely they were. The next passage that we can see in Acts is in Acts 14. And you can turn over to there, starting at verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel... To that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and the Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, they prayed with fast and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. Now, here's the first real example, as we understand, elders and ordained with a certain charge. And the word ordain simply means to choose or to appoint. Leadership and oversight are essential to any group, and the New Testament church is no exception. Now, I'd like to point out that elders here is mentioned in the plural. Elders, plural, in every church, singular, what I just read here. And that is the case everywhere that you find elders connected with either a church or a city. The very familiar one is Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Therefore I left thee in Crete that thou should ordain elders, plural, in every city. That's what Paul said to Titus. And in James 5, verse 14, Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders, plural, 
of the church, singular. So it needs to be a goal to have a plurality of eldership in a church. That, that, that's a biblical pattern that we see. Interesting enough, you could make a case. This is something that I, I discovered in my study. You could make a case that you could have a congregation with elders and no deacons, biblically. You could. You could see that in Scripture, that there could be churches with elders only and no deacons. But you can't make a scriptural case that there would be a church with only deacons and no elders. So sometimes we don't have biblical churches, do we? Although we want to correct that. The primary need of the church, this is talking about there as, as in Acts there and also Titus, as he went into different churches. The primary need of the church was to be brought under the jurisdiction of godly men assigned with the responsibility of nurturing and guiding the congregation. That was a pressing need in the early church. So the summary so far is that eldership, leadership, has always been a normal method for God, going way back to oversee, instruct, and guide, and protect, and nurture his people. Uh, what someone said, uh, watching and warning and leading and feeding. And since this, this role, this role of eldership is such an integral and important part, there must care Care must be taken to to ordain men of spiritual depth and integrity and stability because it's such an essential part of the uh, outworking of a church. Okay, a brief study now in the different terms of this oversight position of elders. Why don't we ha- why don't we ordain a bishop instead of an elder? Or why don't we ordain a pastor, maybe? Or maybe a bishop or a pastor in addition to an elder. Those terms are all found in Scripture. I remember Wilmer Funk, uh, he's been here, and he, they, they ordain bishops in their church. So, and, he's, and he said he, he's found that some people have a reaction when they hear the word bishop. They, some people who have been maybe, uh, they're maybe skeptical of authority because of how it was used in their past don't have good, a good memory of the word bishop. He said, why not use it? It's a, it's a Bible word. We don't need to react to it. So let's do a little bit of study on those words. An elder is a bishop. The easy example of this is in Titus chapter 1. And you can turn there so you can see that. Titus chapter 1. Verse 5. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless. <laughs> Talk about the same person. 
Now, the word elder there, ordained elders, is that that word that I couldn't pronounce earlier. Presbyterus. I'm not saying it right, but it's close enough, okay? That's what that word elder is. Now, this word bishop is actually another word. See if I can find that here. So, yes, it's a different word. It's the word episcopos. And episcopos simply means to oversee. An elder, older person, mature person, is called to oversee something. That's what's happening here. It's actually his job description. In fact, it's the main job description. Everything else that he does falls under that oversight of a bishop. So I can't pronounce those terms very well, but I did find better ways to remember it. Okay? Presbyteros for elder and episcopos for bishop. You can think of the Presbyterian church. That word Presbyterian comes from a board of elders. It comes from the word elders. And then you can think of the Episcopal Church. That word comes from the word bishop. So you can see you have one church is named after elders. You have another church group named after bishops. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's the way to describe it. Vine says it this way. He said in Presbyteros, an elder, is another term for the same person as bishop or overseer. The term elder indicates the mature spiritual experience and understanding of of those so described. And the term bishop or overseer indicates the character of the work undertaken. And then it says here, also, according to the divine will and appointment, as in the New Testament, there were to be bishops, plural, in every local church. Now, let's, in case there's any doubt, let's look at one more passage that describes that, and that's in Acts chapter 20. It's a very interesting, very interesting passage here on leadership, and it broadens it out a little bit more. Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 60, while well, I read verse 16 and 17, and then we'll jump down to 28. 16, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible, to be at Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. There you have the word Presbyterian. Then jump down to verse 28. He's talking to those elders. Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. That word overseers is that word bishop. Elders are overseers, are bishops, and they are overseeing a flock. A flock. And that's where we get the word pastor from. Okay? They're overseeing a flock. They are shepherding. They are pastoring. They are bishoping. They are eldering. 
So we could say an elder is a bishop, is an overseer, is a shepherd, and is a pastor. That's the summary of an elder and those words and those terms. Now, that's a very brief Bible study, of actually, of an elder. Now, we'd like to take a short look at what is a deacon. In our planned ordination, we are desiring an elder or two, but not a deacon at this time. So, what is a deacon, and what is a deacon's role? How is a deacon's role different from an elder's role, and how do they overlap Are they in competition? Are they complementary? Do they work separately or do they work together? Now, that's a lot of questions. I'm not going to describe all of them in detail, but we'll get a a, a summary. Now, the qualifications between the two are quite similar. The need for men, and in this case for deacons and their wives, is for them to be people of Spirit-produced character. Now, there is a broader set of qualifications given for an elder than a deacon, but not a higher. The qualifications are not higher for an elder than a deacon. They are a little broader for an elder. In my count, there were 12 different qualifications for a deacon and his wife. And for an elder, there were 23 qualifications, which is why I said it's broader With one exception, there is a requirement for elders that is not given to deacons in their qualification, and that is the one that we're very familiar with, is the apt to teach. An elder is given the qualification he must be apt to teach or able to teach, and that qualification is not given to the the deacon. Now, an outworking of that quality of an elder would be in Titus. I'll, I'll read it. You don't have to turn back. Turn to Titus, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 9, where he's talking about the elder and what he's supposed to do, holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. That's as, a, as an elder needs to be apt to teach, he needs to be able to do this. And I'll read, I'll read it in the English Standard Version. That he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, that's the teaching, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So holding fast to the faithful word, and then be able to use that word and both encourage and correct. That is the one main qualification of an elder that would differ from a deacon. A deacon would be permitted to do that, but it's not required. That's the point. So what is a deacon? Well, again, we'll do a little bit of a word study. The word deacon simply means to be a servant or a minister, like the word elder. Uh, like the word elder, rather, it has a long history in, 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 the, in the scripture. I'm going to yeah, turn to, turn to uh, 1 Timothy, where we can see the qualifications. Chapter 3 and verse 8 to 10. 
And we'll see two different phrases there that I want to bring out. Likewise must the deacons, that's the one word, be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, and then let them use the office of a deacon. Use the office of a deacon is one word in the Greek, and it's a verb form of the deacons at the beginning, where we saw that deacons must be grave. It's a noun, and this is what they do. Use the office of a deacon is the, is what they do. It's a verb form. So a deacon, as a noun, is an attendant, a waiter, a servant, an errant runner. And the use of the office of a deacon is the verb, the thing that a servant does. The first place that this verb is used in the New Testament, at least chronologically in the New Testament as far as our in Matthew, remember when Jesus was tempted, the devil came and tempted him, he was fasting for 40 days, and then he was very hungry. And then the devil came and tempted him. Well, it's a little bit debate whether he did the whole time or whether he did at the end, but he definitely did at the end. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. That word ministered is the same word as used the office of a deacon. It's simply, it's what servants do. And I wanted to use this verse partly because if a deacon isn't a servant boy, uh, you know, errand boy, that kind of thing, you get the idea that maybe it's a lowly job. Well, we could have a whole discussion about, yeah, it's okay to be lowly. That's fine. But this position is not what we would consider a lowly position. The angels did it. They're not lowly, but they... They ministered to a need. And when they came to Jesus, he needed food. But he needed, he also got comfort. And he got encouragement. And he got help. He got hope. Um, companionship. And he got strength. The angels brought all that to him when they ministered. Unto Jesus. And that is the work of a deacon. As he ministers, he brings more than just errand boy stuff. So the word deacons is used very widely. Those servants that filled the water pots when Jesus turned the water into wine, those were servants, those are the same word as deacon. In fact, the government is a deacon. Uh, the ministers of God, they're deacons of God, the government is. Same word. In fact, Jesus himself was a deacon. He came here to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And that he used the office of a deacon as his purpose. In Romans 15.8, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. So the angels are deacons, the servants are deacons, the government is a deacon, Jesus is a deacon, 
if we continue our study, we could see that the apostles were deacons and the elders were deacons and the deacons were deacons, right? <laughs> we're all to be deacons, all to be servants, all to minister. So when we speak about ordaining a qualified deacon, what do we mean? Well, we mean identifying true functioning servants and have them serve or fill the specific needs that arise in the congregation in an official, in an official uh, capacity. And you can turn to Acts chapter 6 where we see it first happening. There's a little bit of question whether Acts 6 were the first deacons or not. Uh, it doesn't specifically say that they were deacons per se, although that word deacons is used to speak of them. But at the very least, at the church was developing, this was the prototype of deacons if they weren't official deacons as we understand it. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in their daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. I think I have it written down. Um, I may not have written it. Serve tables, I think, is actually do the office of a deacon. I think that is actually what that word is, serving tables. They said, we, we cannot be deacons in this area. We're, they were servants, but they can't serve in this area. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, which we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this saying pleased the whole multitude and, and so on those names. And they set them before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So, so here we are. Uh, maybe here is where I was looking for. Yes, I, I didn't find it here. The frustration of some members of the early church for not having their needs attended to. The church was growing larger. And when I said about earlier about structure and life, both needed as, as a church grows, structure needs to grow with it. And this is a, an example of that where uh, things were disorganized and they needed to create some more structure to meet the, the needs there. So um, the 12 apostles were not able to handle all those physical needs of the body and still do what they were called to do by God. They knew that if they neglected the ministry of the word, the church and the future of the, the church would suffer for it. So it's not right for us to give up preaching the word of God and to serve tables. And so they asked them to choose those men. Yes, here it is. The word serve there in verse 2 is the same word as in Timothy to use the office of a deacon. So the apostle said it's not right for us to use the office of a deacon in this area. It will cause us to neglect what we've been called to do. 
So what, what we have here is a division of labor. You know, you heard that term already. Uh, used to be years ago, everybody did everything. They just spun their, grew their own food and grew their own clothing and spun their own cloth and did everything themselves. But as time went on, they got divisions of labor. <laughs> Even though division of labor was always true, always, but it's much more so now. But what we have here is a division of labor. The apostle said, we will continue to do what the Lord commissioned us to do, and we will appoint other qualified men to do the other work that really needs to be taken care of if a congregation is to, to be taken care of and to thrive and to grow. And so that's what they did. And, and the best way I can understand between the difference between a deacon and an elder is, is right here. Is right here. The elders are responsible for the oversight and care of the church to, to, uh, to give instruction, spiritual direction, a watching and warning and leading and feeding and to protect and oversee and equip and lead. You know, we have epistles or letters specifically written to elders, but we don't have any written to deacons. And so there's there's those specific charges given, like in 2 Timothy, where Paul is giving Timothy some of the charge. He said, I charged ye before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The responsibilities of a deacon are not as clearly given exactly what does a deacon do, except it is assumed that they do everything that is not included necessarily specifically what an elder's role is. <clears throat> the qualifications of a deacon are clearly outlined in Scripture. What he does is simply what is ever is needed to be done. Now, like in Acts, a, a deacon, when you, when you choose a deacon and you give him a specific role and responsibility to the needs that need to be done, and that will vary depending what the situation is, it doesn't mean that he can't with the gifting that he has, that he can also go in other areas. It does, it, it does, Acts chapter 6 clearly has Philip and some of the others, the gifting that God gave them that they um, went way beyond uh, being uh, handing food to widows and things like that. So a, a deacon is not restricted to just that, but that is his, his uh, assigned role as, as ordination. So a deacon furnished or fulfill the service elements of a congregation. And to find a deacon, you find someone who is already serving. Someone who already has a servant's heart. It is his heart to minister. He is both qualified and he's gifted in that area. And to find that man and then give him the official charge 
and responsibility and authority to do that in a church-sanctioned format. That's the best way that I can describe the office of a deacon. I think plurality of leadership includes deacons, if possible, because one person doesn't have all the gifts, and if you have a plurality of deacons, you actually have a plurality of gifting also, and generally I would say that is a positive thing, that uh, people have different gifts, and if there's only one, there's, there's some imbalances, there's two, there's more balancing there. So, does that mean now we had two separate ministries in the church? We had the deacons over here, and they meet over there, and they have their meetings. Then we had the elders over here, and they meet there, and they have their meetings. I don't think so. The deacons are an elder's arm of the ministry. But they operate as a team. In fact, like a husband-wife team, there are different assigned roles but there's not a distinction of value between the two. <clears throat> there's only a distinction of function. They're equal, but different. And the two offices are complementary. Complementary. Each, each office frees the other to do what they're called to do. The elder frees the deacon to serve. The deacon frees the elder to lead and oversee. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the working together of those two offices. It's interesting. To wish to be a bishop is not a negative desire. That's from our background, that is, hmm. If any man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. That goes against what we have been taught all our lives. I think we can understand it, if we can understand it this way. He desires a good work. See, that is, it's more of a, it's more of a work, a task than it is an office or position. An office or position needs to be there. But the main purpose for that, the purpose for that office and position is for the work and the task. So if you desire the work and the task of overseeing a congregation, you have a desire to nurture, you have a desire to guide and lead and correct and teach. You desire a good work. That's not negative. That's a good thing. And a deacon. It's a similar thing given there in a verse, a little different way. But to use the, the, the a deacon has a blessing attached to it. So I'm going to read it in 1 Timothy 3.13. For they which have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So if you're a, you're a, 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 
ordained a deacon. And in this case, the deacon's wife is really closely connected to that whole thing. Um, there's a blessing connected to it with the work. So anyhow, that's that's pretty well as I understand. We're looking at the role of an looking for ordination of elder, and we look for a man who who fulfills the qualifications and uh, and the purpose of an elder. We do not want to choose a deacon for an elder's role. So we look for an elder in this uh, in this ordination. Let's seek God together, whom he would gift us with an elder in our congregation. It is his church. It is his venture. He, we are looking to him to give us a gift. And I'm just going to read a few verses in 1 Peter 5, which bless me here, here in, in the end here. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 4. The elders which are among you, as Peter is writing to a number of churches, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, this is the exhortation to those elders. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not because you have to, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for what you can get out of it, but for a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And again, that is a blessing given to that noble task. So may God bless you. May we all seek May we all be deacons, and may we seek God for a leader amongst us. God bless you.